uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse number 56. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse number 56 here tonight. Um, just one verse, and then we'll go back and kind of put it in context and see what's going on here. Solomon is uh, going into the temple. The, the children of Israel had finished the temple after David was passed off the scene, and they were able to construct the temple. It was a, it was a big undertaking. It took years, and so they finally got in there. They're finally in the temple, and as they are in the temple, Solomon, as the representative head of Israel, is speaking to the Lord. He's praying to God, and he's dealing with the people of God, encouraging them to follow the Lord and and uh, this is what he said in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. I love this. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. The word of God that they had so far, the first five books of the Bible, um, and that's just about it that they had at that point. He said, listen, this is God's word, and whatever God said in his word, whatever he promised, he has come through, and not one word failed. 100%. God is faithful. 100%. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you'd help us to understand um, the score, the real score of how it is with us and you and our relationship with you, our walk with you. Lord, tonight, I'm not going to be going over salvation or that kind of thing. Uh, mostly we have uh, God's people here tonight that are hungry to, to learn God's word, to be encouraged in God's word, to learn a little bit more of how to walk before you. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight you would be that blessing. You give us the instruction that we need. Help us, give us the encouragement that we need from your word, Lord, and you always do. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just be receptive and we would be on target. Our hearts would be tuned to hear, to listen, to obey, to follow you. So, Lord, tonight I pray that you would just uh, have your way with us tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the many, many blessings you've given us. And, Lord, tonight I pray that you'd again meet with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he had promised. <clears throat> and you know the life of Solomon, and you know if you're a Bible uh, student, and you know a little bit about happen what happened with Solomon, and Solomon was warned of God to walk this way, and be careful about this, and uh, uh, not to go into idolatry for sure, and they were whatever. And you know the miserable failure that Solomon eventually became. Now there was a short time where there was success, there was a short time where it was just as good, as clear, as, as, as concise as the Lord would have it to be a, a, a beacon to the world, that was very short-lived. And then the Bible says, as you know, he loved many wives, and that was the problem. That was the problem that God had warned him about ahead of time. And then the miserable failure. So they failed, but here the Bible says, there is not failed one word of all his promise. So if God doesn't fail and we bite the dust, whose failure is it? Can we, can we pin that on God? Well, no. <laughs> that's, 
That's got to be our failure, right? Well, that's exactly what happened here in this uh, story. And this is in uh, chapter 8, just the beginning of going into this relationship with God as Solomon on the throne and, and with a temple and with worship uh, starting the way that God had, had uh, uh, ordered and designed it. These chapters are unique. They're exemplary. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, the beginning of Solomon's ministry. They show Solomon's heart. They show his efforts. There's nobody like him. I mean, as far as prosperity, as far as wealth, as far as um, uh, the splendor that Solomon enjoyed in the peacetime. He, he wasn't a man of war. David went through all the battles and all the wars and all the difficulties and got them to the place to where they were enjoying the blessings of God and handed it over to Solomon. And, and so Solomon enjoyed a, a reign of peace. And uh, so here you see all of what they were embarking into. And this tips us off to what really made Israel great and the shining example to the world that God originally intended them to be because God was faithful. He says this in 1 Kings chapter 8, and verse 41. Now there's going to be a lot of scripture here tonight. So if you want to open up your Bible, we'll be within those three chapters, chapter 8, 9, and 10. And... Um, uh, you might be able to look on the screen as they go. I know I've noticed that as they get older, um, and this is small print, and I could look at this, but it takes something for me to focus down here, and then I look up and I got to refocus, and so it's, so sometimes it's just just as much easy to to read the board if he's staying with us as far as the uh, the, the scripture, but uh, we'll be in the Bible for quite a bit tonight. Um, it's now 6.30 as we're embarking on to this message. <clears throat> I, I'm not going to be in a rush. I don't, I'm not thinking this is going to be a real long message, but I'm telling you, it's not, I'm not going to be in a rush. Um, this last week, we enjoyed wonderful, concise, short messages with Brother Hightower. Amen. Too bad we're not going to see that for a couple of years. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll try to get, uh, I try to be concise, and, and we'll, we'll just say what we have to say. But there is, I, I know already that there's quite a bit of scripture we're going to be reading to kind of set the, set the stage here. So let's take a look at it. Um, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 8, look at verse number 41. <clears throat> this is what God intended for Israel to be. When they come into power, when they've got a king that's the right kind of a king, the right kind of a heart, the right kind of... Uh, sacrifice that the people had, the people of Israel following the Lord, trusting him in a good relationship with God. This is what God intended them to be to the world. He says, moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake, for they shall hear of thy great name, Solomon says to God. He says, listen, the whole world is going to hear about us following you and how you blessed your people here. He says, no matter where, they'll come from far and wide to, because they've heard about your great name and of thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm when he shall come and pray towards this house. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for that all people of the earth may know thy name. You see, it wasn't just for Israel. Israel was God's chosen people, but God had a purpose. That's so he could reach the world, not just to bless one nation, one people's. No, it was for everybody that all people of the earth may know thy name, he says, to fear thee as do thy people Israel, and that they may know 
that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. See, that's what God's intention was for, for the children of Israel. If they were to do what they were supposed to do, what they were intended to do, what they were designed to do by God, that would be a witness to the world. Everybody would know about God, would see the blessings, would see, you know, remember last Sunday night, that, that uh, message that uh, Liam uh, took notes on? It was because of, uh, um, was it Jacob, that uh, Laban said, hey, I've learned because of you I'm blessed. I don't want to get near you because God's blessing you, you know. And that's what God's people are, were supposed to be in the first place. The, the people, so that the people of the earth would hear about and know and come and, and learn about God. See, God intended on having them to be the beacon to the world, pointing to a great God and a Savior. And in the very short periods that they were right with God, they were just that. They were exactly that. Before Solomon's failures, Solomon typified Christ, as in chapter 10, when the Queen of Sheba heard. You remember that story, First uh, Kings chapter 10, look at verse number 1. And when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. She said, how good is this God? How good is this this word that they follow, this instruction. How, how much advanced are they because they know this God? So she came with questions. She wanted to know. She was a seeker, if you will. But <coughs> she was a seeker with a, with a good heart. She really wanted to know these things. So she came to prove him with questions. And the Bible says hard questions. Everybody has hard questions. Everybody's got difficulties that they face. And they're, they're, they're really uh, needing to know the, the answer, the truth about it. And she came to Solomon to hear about that. And so she comes to see him, the, the, the palace, the people, the, his servants. Verse number four, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent, by which he went up into the house of the Lord, that was his worship to God, there was no more spirit in her. I mean, she just saw, I mean, she was overwhelmed. When she saw, she heard it was a beautiful temple. She heard that it was, it was uh, uh, very uh, uh, high class. It was opulent. Man, they put gold into that and ivory and cedar wood, and it was, it was something to be seen. And when she got there, it was even more than, than she imagined, and it was just, it overwhelmed her. When she saw his servants, and they were happy, and they were serving it with joy, and she's going, what in the world is going on here? When do you see that? And then his ascent, by which he goes up to, I mean, Solomon <coughs> understood who he was before, and he uh, uh, came into God's presence in the right attitude, in humility, and humbleness. And because of all of that, because of his worship, because of his relationship to the Lord, because of all that God had blessed them with, the Bible says that uh, there was no more spirit in her, verse 6. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, this is a great phrase, the half was not told me. Thy, thy wisdom and thy prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. She said, listen, I heard about this and you know how people exaggerate? And when I got here, it was, it was more, it was greater, it was beyond. 
Usually you don't hear that. Usually you, you, you hear some kind of a PR system that it's way overdoes whatever the truth is. This wasn't like that. She heard about all of these things. Man, when she got there, she was blown away. She says, the half was not told me. You see, folks, here Solomon mirrored Christ. In the New Testament, the, Jesus himself, he associates himself with Solomon. And he says, hey, uh, this is similar. Me, what was going on here with the Gospels is the same as what happened back there. And it was a picture. It was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I tell you what. When we get to heaven, we're all going to say that the half has never been told. I mean, man, the preacher, you know, was, was good at his words and explaining and, you know, our imagination. But the Bible says we can't even imagine the things that God's prepared for them that love him. We can't imagine. I've got a great imagination. I really do. You know, I, I dream, and I dream. sometimes I dream about you guys, too. You know, a very wild imagination. And I've got a wild imagination about heaven, about what's, what it's going to be like, and everything else. The half was not told us. Folks, no matter, no matter, I'm telling you, no matter how wonderful you think it is, and you think that you, you get a grasp on what life is going to be like when you don't grow old, and your body uh, uh, functions don't, you know, uh, fail, and, and uh, uh, you, you, you can, you have a glorified body, and there's no more struggle with sin, and, and, and we're there in heaven before the Lord in his strength, and we don't perish because we would to see the Lord now. I'm telling you, folks, the half has not been told. And when you, everything that Solomon was and, and who Solomon, you know, the, his servants, they were happy. Folks, whenever you get around the Lord and see God's people, they're happy serving them. And man in heaven, it's going to be a, it'll be a party. It really will be. Last time that uh, Diana and I were up uh, north to go see the Hulberts, they live in a home there. And, uh, and you need to pray for Brother Hulbert. He, he's got a tumor on his esophagus someplace and, and uh, they can't. They can't operate. It's, it's done. They, they've, they've been honest with him. And he's asked the doc doctors to be honest with him. And, and they said, well, you might have this long, you might have this long, but it's, it, you're done. And he knows that. And so we're there, we're there fellowshipping with him and just such sweet people. Mary, if you remember Mary, she used to sit uh, right here where, where uh, uh, Mrs. Horn is right now it, when she would come to church or maybe on this side. And um, just as faithful as anything, when they were, they were able to be here, they just lived, uh, you know, a few blocks away until they couldn't come anymore. And, and she, she didn't have her sense about her anymore. She didn't really know who we were when we got there. After a while, she recognized me as the preacher. Oh, you're that guy. <laughs> Out. No. <laughs> she loved us when we were here. We loved her also. And, and then it was like, oh, man, it was great. I, I saw the light turn on. She recognized us. But this is, this is it for Brother Hulbert. It's, it's done. And he can't talk. He tries to talk, and he can't because the tumor is restricting his vocal cords and his esophagus. He can't. He, he might be able to put out one or two words. That's it. And, he, and you could tell he, he so, so wanted to tell us something when we were there. And he's just so frustrated, and he stops. And, and, you know, I say this a lot because, and you've heard me say it before, but I told him here again, I said, Brother Roy, we all get to heaven, 
I'm having a big shindig at my mansion. About the first thousand years, everybody's invited. Why don't you, why don't you come over? <laughs> That's the truth, folks. That's the truth. Mark it down. Mark it down. Maybe not the first thousand years because we'll be busy with other things, you know, exploring and, and talking to the Lord and all the saints and everything. But when I have that, that shindig at my mansion, you're invited. <laughs> and it'll be a thousand-year mansion party. <laughs> We're going to reach out. Folks, we, you know what? We have no clue what it's going to be like. Well, here, the, when, when the Queen of Sheba came, she heard of the fame of Solomon. She came and she was overwhelmed. She said, this is more. Folks, when we get to heaven, same thing. To see the, 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 the uh, uh, respect and the honor that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gets from, the, from his creation. All of the universe to bow down before him. What a wonderful God that we have. And, and, and so Solomon, is, is he mirrors Christ, is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. He said, the queen of the south, let's talk about the queen of Sheba, she shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And he's talking about himself. You know, it, just, it was just a type, a shadow. And you know what? Jesus is so much more than even what, what this example of Solomon was to the Queen of Sheba. So you see Israel, and in the time of prosperity, it was, for a short time, it really was a beacon to the world. Other people heard about God, and they would come, and they would, they would come with questions, and they would come to prove the word of God and, and the, the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, fidelity of God. But folks, this is not a sermon about their successes. It was very short, short-lived. But this is a warning about their utter and complete failure. Because you know the rest of this, if you're familiar with the Bible. Boy, did Solomon bite the dust, didn't he? Going back to chapter 8, where Solomon prays that inaugural prayer of holding both parties to this covenant relationship. It's a prayer when they're getting into the temple and everything's in place and, and, and that's the time where the priests tried to got, uh, got in and when God showed up, uh, the, the Shekinah glory was so thick, it was like a cloud, they, had to, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't stand in the presence of God, they had to leave. I mean, that's how, that's how thick it was. This is what he said here. Um, he, he's, uh, uh, talking, he's talking about this relationship that the children of Israel have with God. God in his promises and pardons. And then he talks about men in their commitments and their repentance to God. Solomon seems to have equal clauses in that contract with both parties. God on one side and the uh, uh, men on the other side. And he says, God, you've done this and we'll do this and you do this and we'll do this. And that's kind of the way he, he goes here. Solomon seems to have equal clauses. You see, for instance, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 20, this is... Emphasizing God's side of things. He says, 1 Kings 8, verse 20, And the Lord hath performed his word that he spake. And I am risen in the room of David my father. That's what God promised, didn't he? And I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. See, this is what God promised. He's coming through. This is what God did. And he have built, uh, we have built a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Go down to verse 23. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or in earth beneath who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servant that walk before thee with all their heart, 
who has kept with thy servant David, my father, that thou hast promised. Thou spakest also with thy mouth and hast fulfilled it with thine hand as it is today. Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David, my father, that thou promised him. Verse 26, he says, And now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto, the ser unto thy servant David, my father. He says, God, you promised and you've come through. You've done this and you've been faithful. God, you've done, and, and I, I ask you to verify your word. You've promised these things. And Lord, come through just like you said. This is all what he's talking about, God's responsibility and God's faithfulness. And then he talks about man, their faithfulness to God or their covenant with God. Look at verse number 30, 1 Kings 8, 30. He says, and hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant. He's talking about himself, the men there. Uh, hearken God to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they shall pray toward this place and hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And when thou hearest, forgive. If any man trespass against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to cause him to swear, and the oath come before thine altar in this house. Then hear thou in heaven, and do and judge thy servants, condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head, and justifying the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. When the people Israel be smitten down before the enemy, because they have sinned against thee, and shall turn again to thee, and confess thy name, and pray, and make supplication unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of thy people. This sounds a whole lot like, um, what is it, Second Chronicles 7.14. It's the same event. Uh, if my people, which are called by my name. This is, this, it's exactly the, the time. Said a little differently there, but that's, that's in verse 34. He says, Then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of thy people, and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee. If they pray towards this place, and confess thy name, and turn from their sin, when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk, and give rain upon the land which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. All of this, he's talking about God, man's responsibility. When we fail, God, when we fail and we pray, we, we repent, God, take us back in. Because, you know, of our, uh, our problems and what we're doing here. God, you've been so faithful. This is what you do, and, and you keep your word. God, when we fail and we, we, we repent, God, we're, we're asking you to take us back in. And, and that's, so he, he talks about God's side and man's side. Now, it seems as though Solomon was just as concerned that God would keep his part of the bargain and the Israelites would keep their part of the bargain. Kind of like equal concerns. That's his prayer. If you want to look at this later, you can, but it's just about even. He says, God, you do this, and we do this. God, you do this, and we do this. And this is a relationship that we have together, and, and we're going to follow you, but God, you be faithful. So it's equal concerns. He's talking about God and his responsibility, and he's talking about man and their responsibility. But God knew more of their makeup than they knew of God's character. When God goes over the contract in chapter 9, that's what Solomon says in chapter 8. In chapter 9, the Lord then kind of uh, summarizes the contract. And this is God's perspective when God speaks to the children of Israel. It's not so even-handed then. God dwells on the curses and the judgments twice as much as the blessings of obedience. He, 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 he talks to them. He says, okay, we'll do that. We'll, you know, he agrees. But then when he goes over this, he says, okay, I'll be faithful, 
But listen, if you don't, and man, you're going to be in big trouble. And if you fail, and if, you know, don't fail, don't go off. Go. He, he dwells here with, with men. He said, sure, I'll be, I'll be faithful. No problem. It's, this is the problem. It's us. The uh, title of the message is, Who Failed? Whose fault is this? Remember, with God, there's not failed one word. God is totally faithful. And so in chapter 9, when he goes over this, he, he talks about his faithfulness, but then he talks a whole lot about their failures and, their, and the judgments upon their rebellion. See, it was just a short time from the Queen of Sheba prosperity that Solomon begins to falter. As a matter of fact, it's about that same time, but uh, where, where Solomon begins to kind of go off the beaten path. Call it conformity to the world, maybe. There's political marriages. It was political. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, uh, you know, he was intending on, on going into idolatry and, 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 and cursing God's people and bringing the whole nation away from God. He, he wasn't thinking that, I'm sure. That was not even in his thoughts at all. But what, what kings did at that time is when they had affinity with other nations, uh, they, would, they would take the, uh, uh, the, the cream of the crop of both and intertwine them. Here's the daughter of Pharaoh was given to Solomon to be his wife. Oh, I'm sure she was a looker. I'm sure she was, I mean, top of the top. It was like, whoa, this is the best of the best of the best. And here's this woman given to Solomon uh, because it was a political, it was a political marriage. It wasn't because he loved her, or not at first. You know, any time there, there was a, uh, what do you call that, uh, arranged marriage, you don't love somebody you've never seen before. But the Bible does say later on in his experience, he loved her. So, like I say, I don't know, maybe it was, you know, conformity to the world. That's just what the world does. Now, now God spoke to Solomon and the children of Israel very clearly. It doesn't matter what the world does. Don't go there. Don't do this. And he's going, well, you know, this is just, you know, I'm a king and this is what happens. And so, and, and I don't know, but she was probably the first among many. 700 wives and 300 concubines. A thousand women, a thousand women in that, in that category. And we call him wise. <laughs> wow, but nonetheless, uh, you know, boy, did he, ever, did he ever go off the beaten path. Maybe it was just a slack of obedience to the instructions of God that he began to take a dive. See, God made it abundantly clear that they weren't to intermarry. They were not to fall in love with or hobnob with women of diverse religious backgrounds. Deuteronomy chapter 7. You remember the promises that he talked about that God's so faithful in? Uh, the, the words of Moses? That's the words of Moses, those first five books. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, uh, this is what God said. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not. Is that clear or is that not clear? Is, it, is there some place of interpretation, maybe the nuance of Scripture, and, well, yeah, thou shalt not hear, but it's okay here. No, God's very clear. He says, thou shalt not 
Thou shalt, uh, uh, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. Small g, that's idolatry. Wrong. Sin. God was making it very clear, don't do that. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. I've got a plan for you, God says, and it's to be a beacon. It's to show people how wonderful it is to serve God and receive the blessings of God. I've got a plan for you, and it's going to mess it up if you start uh, intermarrying, and then there's going to be idolatry and this and that, whatever. <clears throat> well, even right here, he, God stated his ultimate purpose of his chosen people to be special, to be exemplary, a light to the heathen. But boy, did Solomon ever go off the beaten path probably more than anyone else in history concerning women. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many. You remember I said that Pharaoh's daughter? Well, that was, seemed to be the first. Oh, and if there's just one, well, pfft. hey, I've done it once. It doesn't matter if I do it again. Hey, Christian, did you ever, did you ever fear doing something that God forbade in his word? And you fail sometime along the way, you failed, and then the second time it wasn't as hard to fail? Well, you did it before. Well, it looked like the first, I don't know, but probably the first one of, of many. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and the Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely, 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 pay attention, God's warning them, surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, little g. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Duh. That's what God said, right? And that's what happened. See, it was, it was during that time, before chastisement and his full-blown disobedience, is when he started getting off the beaten path, when Solomon started to crack in his commitment to God. You remember, he, he stands before God, he says, God, we'll serve you and we'll be faithful to you, God. You need to come through, just like you said. Verify your word, your promises. We'll do our part, you do your part. And he was fully, he was fully, uh, he was all in. How about that? He was all in. And then that first, that first failure with Pharaoh's daughter, 1 Kings 9.24. But Pharaoh's daughter came up out of the city of David unto her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he did build Milo. I don't know if that's Milo or Milo. I'm not, not really sure how to pronounce it. I say Milo. But it's noted here that when Pharaoh's daughter came up, he's building his house, the palace, and the house of the Lord, 
which was monotheistic, only one God, not a lot of gods. It's not like if you go into some uh, churches or cathedral nowadays, you have all kinds of statues and all kinds of things that you could bow down to and pray to. No, no, not in the temple. There's only one God. Now, that was not Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, she was used to many gods, little gods. You, you remember when Moses came in to, uh, God was going to free his people, the ten plagues. Actually, the ten plagues were against ten major gods that they had. The god of fertility, frogs, represented that one. Destroyed them. The god of, of uh, light, darkness, darkness that could be felt. The god of whatever. There was one god that was worshiping here, and another here, another, and, and God showed his supremacy over all of it. Well, this is what Pharaoh's daughter was. She followed all these little gods. And, and so it said that when she came to live with Solomon, uh, Solomon didn't exactly know what to do with her. So he built this place, a, a house for her, and called it Milo. It's not like he didn't know what he was doing. He wanted to yet honor the holiness of the Lord by keeping his disobedience separate from his worship and relationship to God. Look at a commentary of why Milo was constructed, 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 11. In 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse number 11, the Bible says, And Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David, remember we just heard about that, under the house that he had built for her. That's Milo. That's the place where he, a special place for her. And this is why. Look at look what it says. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the, the places are holy, whereunto the ark of the Lord hath come. I can't put her in the house of God or next to the house of God where David's house was, where he was living. He says, Because it's a holy place. This is dedicated to God. He was very clear about, about idolatry. You can't do that. You can't bring her in with all of her furniture and all of her little gods and all of whatever it is that, that made her feel at home to have these little altars and little whatever. Every once in a while we'll go eat at uh, one of these Thai restaurants here. I love Thai food. I love um, uh, Thai fried rice. Uh, what is that called? Uh, chicken, chicken, what is that? What is it that I like to eat there? Somebody help me. <laughs> was it? No, no, not pot. It was, it's just uh, curry, chicken curry. I, I don't really like Chinese curry. I don't like other kind of curry. I don't know if there's Italian curry, but I don't, I don't like any other kind of curry. But I love Thai curry. Oh, my goodness, there's this place downtown over here uh, in this little shop. It's Thai curry. I love it. Every time I go in there to sit down and eat, they've got this little place. It's a little offering to their god, their gods with the elephants and the whatever, and, and every time, and they're just, they're just, they don't know, they don't have a, don't have a clue, that's what they do. They put an offering of the lunch or the dinner up there, on that, and that's for the gods. Almost feel like telling them, you know, if nobody ever gets that, I wonder if you can let me take that home. That's <laughs> not going to get eaten, I guess, but, you know, but, but that's what they do. Can you imagine Pharaoh's daughter with these little idols and these little things all around? This is what she's used to. This is home for her. This, I mean, she's going into a foreign country and she's, you know, and if you're ever in a foreign country and you don't, you don't have 
whatever it is that you're used to. <laughs> it was funny when we went to Mexico. You guys knew this. <laughs> when Charlene was having tacos and tacos and more tacos and tacos and tacos for 10 days, tacos and tacos and tacos. At the very end, she wasn't going to eat another taco. She's going to wait till she gets to the States and get a hamburger, you know. <laughs> I was thinking, more tacos, yeah. But, you know, when, whenever, whenever you, you're not, you, you, you don't have something that's familiar, and, and I'm sure Pharaoh's daughter had all of these things that, man, this was home, and, and she was not going to be giving up these things. She, was, she had her idols and her idolatry and all of that kind of stuff, but Solomon knew better. He said, I can't bring her and put her in the house of God because that's holy. God doesn't put up with that stuff. He knew that. Matter of fact, God said, don't even marry them. But, you know, he's married to her. And so what does he do? So he builds a separate house. He says, I tell you what, I'll keep her over here and have the idolatry and whatever. And by the way, that's why uh, uh, Rehoboam uh, actually uh, rebelled. was because of idolatry. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew that. It didn't matter that Solomon was the king. Everybody knew you can't do that, you shouldn't do that. But he was doing that with his wife. And, and he said, because I can't bring her into holy places, places dedicated for God, rather than saying, what am I doing? Married to an idolatry. I can't do that. No, he didn't cut it off. He wanted to keep it going, but just make it separate. Put some, some kind of a wall so I can have worship to God, and that's holy, and that's pure, and I can honor God the way God requires me to, to come before him. And then I could leave this, and this, you know what, this is okay to have this idolatry because there's a wall, it's, there's a separation, and I could do this, I could do this, I could, I could compartmentalize, you know what that means? In, in my mind, here's this, and here's that. You know, you come to church, and this is not the place that you sing the wrong songs or watch the wrong things. or what. No, no, this is God's house, and you know that. You're not going to do that, but you know what? At home, away, you entertain something that you shouldn't. You, you have something that, that should not be there. And rather than get rid of it, you say, I could do this. I could keep it separated from my worship, my relationship with God, keep that holy, and just have this. And that's what he thought. He thought that would work. 2 Chronicles 8.11, And Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David unto the house that he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places are holy. Wherefore the ark of the Lord hath come. He knew God's character. He knew the commands. He knew about divine purity. He knew that God's name was holy, 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 apart from sin, apart from idolatry. Well, I'm going to mess with that. He knew of divine purity. He wanted to span both the world and the temple. What a danger. What a danger. Believer, I'm telling you, it's a danger. It's a danger that you think you can somehow wall off in your mind, this is for God and this is for my flesh, and that's okay. No, no, that's not okay. That's not okay. It's never okay. It wasn't okay for Solomon, but he tried compartmentalized. What a danger. It cannot be done. You cannot separate because it, it permeates. So <clears throat> what are the lessons that we learn in Solomon's pathetic failure? Man, they started so well. Started as that beacon. Started in, in obedience. And, and when he failed, and 
you know what, I really can't go into all of that because it'd make it a, a message that's even longer than it, it already is. But uh, it's, what a failure. What a failure. In his day, everything hit the fan and blew apart and it ended up in such a terrible disaster in the divided kingdom. Goodness. What are the lessons that we learn in Solomon's pathetic failure? Okay, well, how about these four things that will be done? Number one, remember there's God's side and man's side? God's side and my side? Put concern to our side. Hey, that's where you have to pay attention. That's where I have to pay attention, my side of things. Our obedience, our fidelity, our attention to the instructions absolutely nothing has to be, you don't have to worry about God's side. You, you remember why? Because not one word of what he's promised ever falls. It's all 100%. On God. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad we have a God like that? Not 98%, not 75%, 100%. Whatever God says, he stands behind. He's faithful. He's true. You don't have to be concerned. You know, when God says, you know, if you tithe, they'll do this. You don't have to worry about him keeping up his part of the bargain. You just worry about your part of the bargain. That's all. Put concern to our side. Absolutely no concern has to be expended upon God's side. You remember that verse that we started with? 1 Kings 8.56, Blessed be the Lord God that hath given rest unto his people, Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses. Not one word when God said he's going to come through. And you know what? You never have to worry about God's side. The only thing you have to worry about, the only thing I have to worry about is our side. <clears throat> I worked at a, a place in Kansas City after... Uh, I don't even remember when this was in my life, but it, it was uh, a, a window washing company. It was a professional window washer. They did uh, businesses, you know, commercial and some, some residential and whatever, and they do high-rises, whatever. We go in, and we were uh, contractors. You, you work so much, and the company would take 60%, and you'd take 40% of whatever it was. And you know what? I never even worried about my paycheck. Did I work there about a month or so, and somebody says, hey, Rich, do you check your, your paycheck, check your hours? I said, why? He says, they'll short you. I said, no, I'm not going to short you. What do you mean they short you? I've never worked at a place that tried to cheat you out of your, out of your what's yours. And they said, check it out. So I checked it out. I, before I went in to go get my paycheck that week, and I checked it out, and it was supposed to be, I don't know, whatever it was, this much, you know. And then I went in to go get my paycheck, and they looked at it, and it wasn't what I had determined. And I go, well, maybe, maybe there's a problem. I, I go back, and before I even said anything to the, to the, the guy that was writing the checks, he, he took it. He said, oh, oh I'm sorry, that, that's wrong. And, he, and he, I didn't even say anything, and he fixed it. And I go, that scuzz. He just tried to cheat me. He tried to cheat me. Take my money. That's my money. You know, and every time after that, I checked to the penny. You want to know something you never have to do? You never have to check God's, God's payments. Because not one cup of cold water goes unnoticed. Not with God. He's faithful. Not one word of his promise ever fails. Not one word. It's all, only on my side. That's what i got to worry about. So, number one, put concern on our side. Number two, put our trust on God. That's what you do. Put your trust on God. 
Not on you. Put your trust on God. Blessed be the Lord, that verse that we started, blessed be the Lord that had given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise. See, but the problem with Solomon is Solomon trusted his own integrity, his own character, his own fidelity. Oh, well, you know, I know that God says, be careful in warning us about this, but I won't fall. <laughs> yeah, right. How many times have you heard that? I won't slip. Yeah, I could get in and get out, no problem. Uh, excuse me? That's a fool. That's a dum-dum that does that. You can't trust yourself. Um, he says, I just want to see a little bit of the world. That's all. I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to go off the deep end. Just this one daughter of Pharaoh, and that's it. And yeah, Hey, where did it end up? Listen, you trust in you, you will always fail. Always, always the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know what deceitful means? It tricks you. It makes you think that you're okay and you're not okay. It makes you think that you're strong and you're not strong. It makes you think one It's a deceiving, it's the, the worst deception you will ever face. It's not the, 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 uh, the, the shyster down the road trying to sell you some, you know, Ponzi scheme. No, it's your heart. It's my heart. Deceitful above all things. Don't trust your heart. Listen, if you do, it will fail. You will fail. Solomon learned that. Uh, listen, I'm not going to go all the way. I'm just, hey, no, no, no. You can't trust the flesh for anything. I was, I was looking for times where people have had animals that they trusted, and then they turned on their, their owners. Uh, here's a guy, a 52-year-old guy in 2010, um, Saso Barsevic of Slovenia. He was killed by his three large bull mastiffs. You know what a bull mastiff is? They're, they're like a grizzly bear, but they're dogs. The incident was ironic because Barsevic had saved the three dogs from being euthanized after they attacked a man in 2006. Yeah, I trust those dogs, right? What ensued was a lengthy court battle that received national attention. Ultima ultimately, the dogs were returned to Barsevic but they ended up killing him in the end. I don't, you know what? I think hippos are nice, fluffy little animals that you can kind of ride, you know? <laughs> hippos are among the most aggressive and dangerous animals that inhabit the African continent. In 2011, Marius Els, a 40-year-old farmer in South Africa, was killed by his pet hippo, Humphrey. <laughs> Humphrey didn't, he didn't have a good day, I guess. Els had previously said that Humphrey was like a son to me. But he's a wild animal, folks. And he got killed and trampled by this hippo. And, is, and he's surprised. Well, no, he's dead, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not 100% proven that the 69-year-old 60, Oregon farmer, Terry Vance, was deliberately killed by his pigs. It is proven that he was eaten by them, though. All that was left of the farmer was his dentures and an undisclosed body part. <laughs> Infested, sorry, forgive me for laughing. Anyway. <laughs> 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 he
Keeping an extremely poisonous pit viper as a pet is probably not the brightest idea. Uh, not, not like a python that could, you know, wrap around you and kill you slowly. A pit viper, and you're dead, you know. Unfortunately, this poor judgment cost 44-year-old Ohio woman, Alexandria Hall, her life in 2004. Hall was bit by her Urutu pit viper, and she was actually able to drive herself to the hospital, and sadly, she died, died a week later because she had a pit viper. And then there's, there's others with uh, Burmese pythons, and this, this is, I, I like this is the best one. I like this is the best one because I've seen people that have, you know, pet tarantulas, you know, and that kind of thing. You know, talk about extremely creepalocious. I mean, that's the, I don't understand that. When I was a kid, I was driving a bike, and a big wolf spider just ran up my, my arm while I was on this bike, and I had to let go of the handlebars, and it was not, not pretty, but it, somebody said, somebody said, it's not when you see a spider that's bad, it's when you don't see him. <laughs> Listen to this. You wouldn't think that many people would willingly keep a black widow spider as a pet. A black widow spider. But one German man did, did just that. In 2004, police responded to a complaint about a strange smell coming from Mark Vogel's apartment. When police arrived at the scene, I don't even want to read this. It'll, it'll cause, yeah, I want to read this. You want to hear it, right? It's, it's like a, a train wreck. You want to hear what's going to happen. They arrived at the scene. They found Vogel's body covered in spider webs, and spiders were crawling in and out of his orifices. The coroner determined the cause of death was a spider bite from his pet black widow spider, Bettina. Oh, little Bettina. She's so nice. Ah! <laughs> I can't even read that. <laughs> you, know that you know that is it's examples of people who trust things that they should not trust. Uh, Christian, friend, you know, you should not trust. You cannot, you can't, you cannot trust. You cannot trust your flesh. You cannot trust your own character. You cannot trust your heart. And people do that all the time. They put themselves in the situations where, where they're, they're just on a tightrope over some lava and, and they, they think that, every, you know, what can go wrong? Are you kidding me? Put your trust in God. Without standards, you're trusting in your own inherent holiness to guide you in the pinch. Oh, I, a preacher, I don't want to be, uh, what do they call that, pharisaical and have standards or rules, so I'm not just going to. Hey, without rules that you make up for yourself because you understand where you're vulnerable and where you're not, without standards, you, hey, you're, you're putting your, you're vulnerable. Are you nuts? You trust your heart not to falter in the presence of temptation? Hey, folks, you know the way to, to deal with temptation? The Bible says you stand there and you fight. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say about temptation? Run! Get out of there! Get out of the way of temptation. God will make a way to escape so that you'll be able to bear it. Not to sit there and face temptation. You can't trust your heart. You cannot trust your flesh. You do, you're going to lose. Ask Solomon. <clears throat> you trust your godlike characteristics to keep you straight with Potiphar's wife? You know what? Joseph didn't do that. He was a godly kid, wasn't he? Godly man. Followed the Lord. But he wouldn't even trust his own heart, his own flesh. When Potiphar came in to talk to him, he says, I'm outside. You remember that? 
He wouldn't stay around where she was. Was it wrong to have coffee with Potiphar's wife? No, that wasn't wrong. That's not jumping in bed with her. But you know what? Joseph said, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. He, he got himself out. Even when it cost him, he got himself out and he, and he kept himself pure. He didn't trust his own flesh. Don't you, listen, you trust your flesh, you're in big trouble. You're going to get bit. Never trust the flesh. Sometimes we, we're, we're dumber than we look. When we, we trust our flesh, it's, it's, it's going to end up badly. What are the lessons that we learn in Sol Solomon's pathetic failure put concern to our side, because God's always faithful. Put our trust on God, not on the flesh, not on ourselves, on our own heart. Number three, observe God's concerned warnings. When God noted their failures, you know, Solomon prays and he said, God, God, you keep up this and we'll do this and you do this and we do, and he's even. He's like, he, he's, uh, um, uh, what did I, I call it, equal concerns. But then God, when, when he, you know, uh, repeated back what should have been repeated back. He said, listen, I'm going to keep this, but you better watch out for you. And God was really concerned about the children of Israel and what they were going to do because they, 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 they were, he knew. Of course, he knew what was going to take place. Pay attention to what God warns us about. Observe God's concerned warnings. When God noted their failures, they should have been on a higher alert. When God warns us that the battle rages, Believe him. Galatians 5, 16. This I say, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Listen, that's going to be till you die, it's going to be that way. There's never a time where you could take a break from the conflict between flesh and spirit. It's always going to be there. And God says, you better watch out for that. There's one way to get around that. One way to, 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 to uh, bolster yourself against temptation. He says in the last verse, verse 18, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under law. You've got to be led of the Spirit. You've got to be in love with Jesus. You've got to be all, all in with the Lord. Observe God's concerned warnings. And then, number four, what are the lessons that we learn in Solomon's failure? Put concern to our side. We don't have to worry about God. Put our trust on God, not on the flesh. Observe God's concerned warnings, because he'll, he'll lay it out. He'll tell us how it should be. Number four, you can't separate or insulate your rebellion from God, like Solomon tried to do. Okay, I'll, 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 do, I'll do it, but I'll keep it away from, from, my, from my worship. I'll keep it away from my relationship to God. I'll go ahead and have things in church right, and I'll, you know what, nobody knows about this, but you know, I'm, I'm away from that, away from others, away from family, and in a place where I'll entertain this, and as long as I, I, I put a, a good barrier around this, as long as I make a wall between what's right and, and this that I'm, that I'm tolerating, it'll be okay. Are you kidding me? It doesn't work that way. You can't separate. You cannot insulate your rebellion. It doesn't work. Solomon tried to allow for disobedience while maintaining the honor and the holiness of God's things. It cannot be done, asked Solomon. It cannot be done. Either you're clean or you're rebellious. It bleeds through. It always permeates. Folks, it's called character. We need to have God look at ourselves tonight 
and ask him for help on this. We all need it. We all need it.